If you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at verses 8, actually through 20, although on the screen it says 15. It'll be 8 through 20. Um, today, we're, we're nearing the end. We're just basically right in the middle of the Christmas season and our, our Advent series. And today, we're talking about the arrival of our Savior, the arrival of the Savior and what that meant for both Israel and what that means for us. Now, what I want you to understand, what, what's happening in Scripture as we get to Luke 2, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, there are hundreds of years of silence. There's hundreds of years, roughly five to 600 years between the two, where God is silent and the people are really waiting for the Messiah's arrival. Now, here's what I know to be true. Waiting for someone's arrival can be difficult. Waiting for someone's arrival can be difficult. And Christmas will always be a reminder of how we experience this, how Sean and I experienced this with Micah before he was born. Because in 2014, two years ago, Micah was due on December 20th. So if we're talking about waiting for someone's arrival, this, is the most, this was the most difficult and interesting season of waiting we have ever walked through. And in fact, that two years ago, I remember doing our Christmas Eve service and telling our team, saying, hey, I might have to go leave and take my wife to the hospital because we're waiting for our kid to arrive, and I don't know when that's going to happen. And then more waiting. And on January 3rd, 14 days later, if you're not a mathematician, 14 days later at 5.30 in the morning, Shauna woke up with mild labor pains. And we visited the doctors and they said, maybe yes, maybe no, just keep waiting. Okay, so maybe he'll, maybe he'll come, maybe he won't, just keep waiting. And so around 1 p.m. that day, we were at home trying everything to force this kid out. <laughs> everything, because here's the thing, at this point, there's no gently wooing, there's no loving, welcoming, it's just get out, okay? We're, we're waiting for you, come on. And so we tried everything. We literally everything. We we walked a, a couple miles. We Shauna ate sp spicy food. She tried castor oil, disgusting. I would not recommend it. They even tried something called a fully bulb catheter. Okay, I'm not going to explain what that is to you because it's just so uncomfortable to define what that is. But I'll just leave that for you. I mean, we tried everything. I even tried googling things. How do you get this kid out? And then at 5:30 p.m., we went to the Mount Vernon Birthing Center. Because what was obvious to the doula and Shauna, not me, but what was obvious to them was that he was coming. He was coming. They saw the signs. They felt the angst. Shauna felt the pain, and they knew. But I didn't. I had no clue. And then we waited. And patiently, we waited. As Shauna continued to labor and in intense laboring pains, we waited. And then at 8 a.m. the next morning, when it, seems that, when it seemed that nothing was moving along, the midwives decided that it was time to transfer to Island Hospital because things weren't moving along. And I remember laying on that bed with Shauna at the birthing center, praying over her and just feeling the angst and the restlessness as she lay in bed and as we waited until the time that it, was, that it was ready for us to pack up. I just felt the anxiety, like, come on, just be here. And then we got to Island Hospital, which honestly felt like an eternity. 
Because if you're going to drive 30 minutes on bumpy roads with a laboring woman, it will not end quickly, okay? Especially if you're dumb and you send that husband alone in the driver's seat with her, okay? So there was no, there was no uh, uh, aid car ride. It was, we're going to throw you both in the car and make you go this way for 30 minutes alone, I have never gripped the steering wheel so tight in all of my life, just hoping and, and waiting, like, is this going to happen? Is this going to go well? So then we get to the hospital, and from 8.30 a.m. that Sunday morning to 4 p.m., it was a series of testing and assessing and waiting. And then they took Shauna in for surgery, and out came my son. Out came my son, and finally at 4.31 p.m. on January 4th, Micah Jeffrey Lawler was born. He was born, and all the hoping for, all of the not knowing, all of the wondering, all of the pain, and all of the waiting was over. He was here. See, the, the reason why I tell you kind of this humorous story is that in our, in our text that we're going to look at, we're looking at a, a group that's being told of Jesus' arrival. And what I hope you learn from my story and, and, and what you begin to see from this text is that we need to look rightly at the birth of our Savior so that we truly see him. That we would truly see him because if we're not looking to him, if we're not waiting on him, then, then like some that we're going to learn about, we will completely miss it. We will completely miss it. If we're not intentionally looking to our Savior, we will completely miss him. And so what we're going to see and unpack from our text this morning is that the Messiah has arrived to bring good news to all the people. If you're taking notes this morning, those are your fill-in-the-blanks, that the Messiah has arrived to bring good news to all the people. And so we're going to read in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. And on the screen, there may be a, a couple verses that are uh, missing in there, but I'm going to go all the way to, to 20 because I want you to see that full context. And so I'm going to start in verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for, be for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was the angel, was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And then we're going to continue to 20 where it says, and then with the haste and <clears throat> went and they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that he had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up these, all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God, 
for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. So as we look at these verses, there's a lot going on in this text. There are angels, there are shepherds, there there are sheep, there's a baby being born, a a journey to visit him, a, a mother treasuring up in her heart what is happening, pondering what is happening, and then there's a worship set session. And and there's even more in that text if we go on. But as we first dive in, there's a couple of things that are incredible and worth noting about the announcement of the Messiah's arrival. That first, looking looking at the people God chose to share Jesus's arrival. So in verse 8 and 9 that we looked at, we see that there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them. So it's, it's shepherds in a field tending to their sheep. And I want you to understand the context of who, the, who is being told this great news. So it's not the self-important. It's not the high priest. It's not Herod the Great. It's not the Jewish religious leaders. It's not the Pharisees, the theologians, or the politicians. It's not the best of the best who are being told this good news to share. God chose to tell this good news to shepherds. They were the involved in the mundane, the routine, keeping the sheep in the night. And in many respects, throughout Scripture, shepherding is a noble occupation. We we see this even in Psalm 23, that God is referenced as a a shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, that he is the perfect shepherd. And and it's a noble occupation, but it's it's commonly a, a lowly occupation. So there's a downside to shepherding. Because shepherds had a hard time maintaining religious purity as the, as the Pharisees would have defined it. They couldn't keep the Sabbath because sheep needed constant protection. And shepherds even spent most of their time in the fields away from society, away from the people. So they even had no influence to speak of. And so even in, in that culture, it was possible that a liar, even a thief's word was probably more valuable in fact, they were considered, these shepherds were considered to be religious outcasts, and their testimony was actually not admissible in court. And so in modern terms, if we were to look at these shepherds, these were the blue-collar workers, largely unnoticed by those in power. And so shepherds were really the lower class of society. And so we need to understand God doesn't reveal this to the best of the best. In fact, culturally, he kind of reveals and uses these shepherds to share a great message who these shepherds are kind of the worst of the worst. And then look at the way Jesus arrived. In verse 11, the, angels tells, the, the angel tells the shepherds, for unto you is born this day, is born today in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And so if we could kind of go there in our minds for a second, can you imagine how different this would be from what you're probably expecting? You're, you're, you're waiting with, with great hope and expectation for this m- Messiah to come, and he comes as a baby. And, and so it's like if you're, it, it would be as if you were drowning, and, and I told you, hold on, hope is coming. I'm going to send you my two-year-old. You're not going to feel much hope in that. And so we need to look rightly at how Jesus came. That when it came to the, the arrival of the Messiah, the people, Israel, they were waiting with their own agendas for the Messiah to come. 
They were planning on their own ways, how and, and why he'd come. And really, as we looked last week, they were expecting their king, but they were expecting their king their way. But here in this verse, it tells us about how Jesus came into the earth. It's that God's own son made his appearance on the earth in the lowliest of circumstances. That this humble birth really conveys an amazing message to creation. That the matchless God of both justice and grace and mercy lowered himself to come to us. Lowered himself to reach us. This is, this is the beautiful and biblical truth of who God is through the Messiah's arrival. That it's always been God reaching out to man, not man reaching out to God. And so our reaching out to him, our reaching to him is only in response of his pursuit of us. And so instead of coming to the earth as a a pampered and, and privileged ruler, Jesus was born in meekness as one of us, which shows us that he is approachable, he is accessible, he is available so it's not a, a palace in which he's born with, with gates and, and bars that, that, that just kind of wall him in. There's no ring of guards preventing our approach. It's that the king of kings came humbly, and his first bed was a manger, an eating trough for animals. So when God became man and took upon himself true humanity, he came as a baby. As we looked a couple weeks ago in Isaiah 9, 6, he, he came as the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, eternal father and prince of peace who has been born. And so the hundreds of years of silence were suddenly broken through Christ's birth. Through Christ's birth, God then spoke. And so when God the Father spoke, he brought good news of great joy to a people who were full of fear and sin and darkness, which caused separation. And so as he brings good news, look at the, look at the common theme in the New Testament when the people meet the angels. But look at how they receive that message. They're afraid. And so the angels respond to many in the New Testament as they're full of fear. The angel said to Zechariah, fear not. He said to Mary, fear not. And now saying to the shepherds, fear not. See, it's a natural thing for a sinner to fear. For us to fear. Because the more guilt we have, the more things we fear. Fear of being found out for some little deceit. Fear that some ache we have is God's judgment fear of dying and meeting a a holy God face to face of who we're not worthy to stand before. But even though it's a natural feeling to feel fear, God sends Jesus with the word fear not. He sends him in a way that, that was completely counter to their thinking. See, this is why Christ's birth is such a big deal Because for both the believer and non-believer, it is the hope that the king has come into the world to save sinners and spread his joy. And so in verse 10, the word joy is emphasized. So the the angel doesn't just say, listen, I, I am coming and I am bringing joy. He's saying, listen, I bring great joy. 
Sing, I bring you good news of great joy. So you see, this, this really is great joy because before Christ, what the people had was the law. Before Christ, what the people had was the law. And through the law, there was a great fear in the presence of God. And for the people, we're not, we're not talking about a fear where they're in awe and, and reverence of, but more so a, a worry of death. And, and so the law itself really served to deepen this natural feeling of unbalance. It really showed men that they were sinful because the law came into the world to reveal sin. But Jesus came into the world to reveal life. We even see this in John chapter 1 when John is describing Jesus coming in the flesh. He says in verse 17, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So because the the people of Israel were both sinful and imperfect, and remember we are too, the people were fearful and trembled under any and every divine revelation. And so the Jews unanimously believed that if anyone was in the presence of any supernatural being, whether it be God or his angelic messengers, they would die. And so when the shepherds saw the angel, they were full of fear. This is their response to seeing the angel, because that was the context and the outcome of this type of experience, death. But that changed with Christ. That changes with Christ. And we see this in verse 10 when the angel says, fear not. Fear not because what I bring is a message of hope. So what this means for us is that once and for all, the law was being made complete as Christ came to fulfill it. And through Christ, we are no longer filled with fear, but rather a hope that comes through him. So this is the good news. This is the good news. This is the promise fulfilled. And this is the love of God towards undeserving sinners. And so really for us, it's important to understand this birth. Because I think for many of us, we don't, we don't really understand the love of God. We, we see the, the, the judgment of God um, rightly in the Old Testament, but we don't always see it rightly. Are you tracking with me? And so for us, when we see that justice, we have a a lack of hope in the love of God. So we see instead of a loving God, we perceive him as being distant and judgmental. And we do not realize how much he has been in pursuit of us. This is much of what we see in Malachi chapter one, verse two, when it says, I have loved you, says the Lord. But you say, how have you loved us? Do you see it? Do you see God's love and his mercy shown perfectly in Jesus? See, this is important for us to see rightly because the good news is that Jesus came humbly to this earth to save sinners like you and me who through Christ's perfect life, his death on the cross and resurrection to new life, through this we might believe in him for new life in him. And so the Messiah has arrived to bring good news. And he's done this to bring good news to all the people. This is then what is being revealed by the angel when he says in the last part of verse 10 that the good news and great joy will be for all the people. 
Now this morning, this is, this is where our exposition is important and our translation is even more important because the word the is not found in every translation. It is not found in every Bible translation. It would be really easy for us this morning without study and without examination to see this as God's response without our need to respond to him. So we could easily see this. He's brought good good news for all the people. That's wonderful. Let's just sit in that. Let's just rest in that. We don't need to respond to that. But this language here is important. That there's a great need to respond to our Savior who's been born to bring good news. So for us to be diligent students of the word, we need to dig deeper. For us to be diligent students of the word, we need to dig deeper than just reading the word. Because really, without the word the in front of the word people, you also lose much of the impact of what is being said here by the angel. That really, not not everyone will be greatly joyful over the arrival of the Messiah. Not everyone is going to be happy about this. Not everyone will see this as good news. That some people will rejoice, but we know of a few others in the Gospels who won't be happy about it at all that not every individual of mankind will rejoice. Not Herod, who was troubled at it. Not the greater part of the Jewish nation, who when he came to them, they didn't receive him. They rejected him as their Messiah, as we see in John chapter 1, verse 11. And not the chief priests, not the scribes or the Pharisees. Many did not receive him. Many did not receive him. So who is the people? Who is the people that the angel is talking about? In uh, 1697, a, a theologian was born who lived until 1771, and his name was John Gill. And John Gill, when studying this text, wrote this about the people. He said, the phrase, the people, refers to all that were waiting for him, all that were looking for redemption in Israel, to all sinners who rejoiced at his birth and in his salvation, to all the chosen people of God, whether Jews or Gentiles, whom God has taken to be his covenant people and has given to his son as such to redeem and to save. To these, the incarnation of Christ with all the benefits resulting from it, is the cause of great joy when they are made a willing people in the day of Christ's power. These are the people the angel is speaking of. We this morning who have believed in Jesus, who look to him, who are seeking him, we are the people. He's speaking of all those who would respond to him who would rejoice in this coming of our perfect Savior. But let me me remind you of something. The only thing that separates us from the great multitude of those throughout the centuries who, who think nothing of Christ is the sovereign grace of God. That is all. That God has made the difference, not you. So it's God who has drawn you in to see the manger rightly. It's God who has shown you the good news through the perfect Savior. And God is the only one who has caused us all to see 
who the Lord Jesus really is. It is God who has made him known to us. And we did nothing to persuade him to do so. It's by his sovereign grace. It's by his grace that he has revealed his son, the perfect savior who has brought good news for all the people. And so in verse 20, what we read is is the shepherd's response. In verse 20, we see as they respond, as they are heading back after visiting the Messiah, seeing him rightly, they return to their work. And it says, as they return, they were glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. So look at their response in verse 20. They worshiped. They looked rightly to their Savior. And so I want to remind you and and encourage you this morning as we come to a close of what I said earlier, that if we aren't looking to him, if we aren't waiting on him, then like some that we learned about, we we will completely miss it. And so let me ask you this. Are you looking to Jesus? Are you looking to Jesus and are you looking to him rightly? in this season? Are you looking to him rightly? Is there something else that's taking your focus or your attention or your affection? Have you made something else or someone else the object of your worship? So ask yourself that question. Are you looking to Jesus in this season? Let's pray.